1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Thanks for checking out this podcast, presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings we present Bonus Chatter Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered and uninterrupted This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast the Purple Podcast is back for another edition. We are on location as we probably will be numerous times during the 2016 football season. We are overlooking the majestic views of U.S. Bank Stadium after the Vikings' first preseason game here on Sunday. They get a 23-10 to win over the San Diego Chargers. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN. I cover the Vikings for them. I'm joined, as always, by Judd Zulgad of 1500 ESPN. We will break down the game, we will give our thoughts on the stadium, and we will look ahead to... A few remaining roster battles and starting lineup
1: battles during the last week of the preseason. Judd, what yes, do you sir. think? What do you think of the stadium? Uh, extremely impressive. I mean, you know what? There might be glitches, temporary yeah. with concourses, and I'm sure there's going to be, as there is with every new stadium, Ben, things that have to be worked out and might take might take some time. All of that being said. Uh, the most important thing to me is the Metrodome was a lousy place <laughs> from which to watch a football game. Metrodome was a lousy because, place. Yes, like you because there. it was a dungeon. U.S. Bank Stadium has light pouring in, and as far as I can tell, there's not a bad seat in the stadium to watch a football game from, so I'm going to take it. Yeah. How about that?
0: Yeah, I, I can remember, and as we all did, I, I remember walking into the Metrodome, As a a college senior, I guess, probably for the most part, when I was covering the University of Minnesota for the Minnesota Daily, on a number of idyllic Minnesota fall afternoons, walking in there thinking, this is a great way to waste three hours of a nice fall (laughs) afternoon sitting inside this dump and watching the Gophers probably blow a lead against Michigan or something. Actually, I think they blew a lead against Michigan on the road the year I covered them. But at any rate, you walked into that building a lot of days thinking – it's just so lifeless in here. It's it feels like a warehouse. It just doesn't have any charm whatsoever. And while this is not outdoors, it and I don't I don't think it. I mean, they, the Vikings talk about it being this indoor outdoor feel. I don't feel like I'm outside when I'm in here. But there is enough natural light that it doesn't feel like this dark dingy building. It no, feels brighter than that and Mm -hmm. I like that part of it I like the view of downtown Mm -hmm. that we have a pretty good view of from the press box and I thought it played well it was very loud in here for a preseason game I I was told that it topped out at 114 decibels which is right in the range of what you would have had at the Metrodome and given the fact that it was a preseason game that probably is a good sign for what you're going to get September 18th when the hated Green Bay Packers come in
1: here. It is between the uh, natural noise made by fans and the piped-in noise with uh, the music they're playing. And there was a and lot of that. Stuff. Yes, it is going to be incredibly loud. My piece of advice is this. If you don't like it loud, bring earplugs. Yes. Uh, but I think that this stadium is another testament to one of the greatest things that's happened in stadium building probably in the last, oh, 25 to 30 years, Ben Gessling, is this. Somewhere along the way, somebody put their foot down and said, cookie cutters are terrible ideas. Yep. Because, because the Metrodome was obviously by 2013 behind the times and had a lot of faults. But for years and years, what happened? You built stadiums that were sort of for football and sort of for baseball. Right. And who, whoever said, you know what, let's cut this crap and let's start building stadiums for our specific sports, kudos to them because this is, this is a football stadium and as I said, the most important thing to me is if you buy a ticket and they're not cheap to watch a football yeah. game here, I don't think you're going to, to walk away and say, you know what? My seats weren't very good. No, so you're not going to get
0: thing. that. I mean, and we certainly have spent a fair amount of money on our stadiums in the last decade or so. We're I mean, building them like crazy. Yeah, now that we've got separate football and baseball stadiums, not to mention separate basketball and hockey arenas, a separate college football and <laughs> separate NFL football stadium. We we probably put between public and private contributions
1: close to what two billion dollars into stadiums since the XL Energy Center opened. Yeah, I think uh, I would say it's safe to say once the soccer venue in St. Paul is done, we're done. I think we're done for a while. We I think it's should like, like a while. I think we're done for a while. Yeah, I think we're done with our. So you'll have, as, as you just said, you'll have two stadiums uh, in downtown that are new. You'll have a remodel target center, right? So yes, I'd say once the, the United gets their Soccer Palace, we're gonna say, "Have fun, folks." That's it for a while.
0: University of Minnesota, if you want your Mariucci Arena renovations, if you want your practice facility for basketball, if you want anything done to Williams Arena, oh, apparently practice they're trying to raise money no. for that. But yeah, they got that going up. Their their fundraising, I think, hit the skids a little bit, but uh,
1: most important thing, they can't move.
0: That's true. They're not That's moving. True. The
1: Gophers aren't going to Los Angeles. Yeah, there's
0: no threat that they can make there. That is very true. I thought the noise factor in here, I guess I was maybe not surprised as, as how loud it got. I mean, we had speakers kind of pointed at us right in the press box. Sure. But it was. I thought it was louder than the Metrodome. And some of that is you have a better sound system. And like I said, it was kind of angled in a way that, that you heard it pretty regularly. But I don't remember ever... Feeling in the Metrodome, like man, I got to put earplugs in because this is starting to just hmm. be like hard to hard to handle all of it. I stuck earplugs in in the second quarter today. I honest, Maybe I'm getting old. No,
1: but. I honestly, well, yes, that too, Ben Gessling. But I think I think part <laughs> of, I think part of your problem too is uh, you started covering the Vikings when I think they were descending a bit. I want to well, say 2012. I but, mean, but I want to say the last time I heard the Metrodome completely crazy was the playoff game in the 2009 season yeah. against Dallas that 's the last time that I left that building and thought I got a headache, yeah, so I just think the excitement a- about this place, but yes between between the fact that when the noise goes up, it either hits the uh, the glass ceiling or it reverberates off the off the special acoustics here mm-hmm. this place, yeah, starting with that packer game it 's going to be incredibly yes. loud now now the, but the one thing to keep in mind too, and, and we both talked to uh, to uh, football people who have explained this before there was a time when the silent count was difficult Mm -hmm. and teams teams dabbled in it but didn't didn't have to go to it that much we are now in an era where the silent count is very normal yes so i don't think we're i don't think this is a 1986 redo of oh my gosh teams fall apart offensively Uh, silent counts now are used i think on the road quite a bit but that being said the vikings defense is going to get a major advantage at times because this yeah. building's going to get nuts.
0: Well, yeah, you mentioned the silent counts and the, and the Packers obviously being the first team to come in here have spent enough time playing in Seattle in the last few years, certainly in playoff games and in big game situations that I think they probably have a, a handle on how to operate their offense when they're in a lot building like that. But that said, the Packers have not had a lot of success in Seattle, and you hear of a lot of teams that go into Seattle mm-hmm. and don't win. Now, we shouldn't put all of that on the noise. The, the fact that the Seahawks are as good as they've been and their defense is as good as it's been certainly has a big part in that. But the Vikings, we've said it a lot, that they're trying to sort of build that Seahawks-type model in the way they're constructing the team. And, and yep. when you have a defense that is going to – predicate itself on that double leg gap blitz and creating chaos where linemen don't necessarily know where they're supposed to block and where they're supposed to turn if there's that split second of hesitation because oh did I did I hear the ball or did I see the ball move did I hear the the snap sure that can make all the difference so I, I think the Vikings have every reason to think that from a noise perspective they did something that could help them through the course of the season now as for the game today I thought overall there were a lot of things to like. I mean, you start with Teddy Bridgewater. I thought he answered all the questions about where he's at going into the season. Mike Zimmer said his arm was always fine. You just needed to trust me on that. I, I told you he was going to be fine. Uh, to put the record straight, Mike Zimmer did not tell us he was going to be fine. Mike Zimmer did not really tell us much of anything. He basically just said it was my decision and it was not disciplinary. He said it was I, – I think he tried to, to downplay it the whole time, but – to say, I told you he was going to be fine. No, technically, Mike, you didn't say that. But Bridgewater practiced for the better part of the week. Yep. And we saw him come out today and I thought do a lot of nice things, particularly in that two minute drill.
1: Yeah, he was, uh, he, he made, I would say, for the most part, the throws that, that, you, that you want to see him make. If, yeah. if this is an evolving process in year three, uh, the second, so the series on which they scored their touchdown. He made three consecutive really nice throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series before that, he made two nice throws. Now, now Kyle uh, lost the, the one and fumbled, yeah. fumbled that yeah. away. Rudolph did. Uh, he made a nice run, which I'm not sure that the head coach was thrilled about. A 22 <laughs> yard run in the preseason might make you a bit, uh, if you're the head coach. It was kind of a late slide you. I kept saying to myself, well, "Go down, Teddy." <laughs> after what we saw uh, happen to to uh, to uh, Romo a couple yeah. of nights ago yeah. in Seattle. Uh, but all that being said, I would say offensively, Bridgewater made throws that you would like to see from him. Yep. Uh, I guess the downside, if there is one, would be the first two drives, which got, I believe, to the Seattle or the or the uh, Chargers four and mm-hmm. six, yep. and stalled there. Yes. So the red zone offense is clearly not where this team wants it. But that being said, if you if you're looking at this game to say, okay, is Bridgewater's throwing shoulder okay? One and two, is he beginning to make the throws that he needs to make? The answer today was yes.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think the thing, the other thing that he did really well, and it's an, it's unfortunate in some ways that we've had as many examples of this to watch in the preseason as we have. But when he's been under pressure, we've seen him be able to stand in the pocket either step up in the pocket to buy himself some time or say, I'm going to throw a strike even though I know I'm going to get hit. Yep, And he did it again today. I, I thought that the throw he made, I, th- I think for the touchdown, he took a shot on that, didn't he? he did. It was either that one or the one to Charles Johnson. Yep, And then the one to Stephon Diggs, he did a nice job of buying time, waiting for Diggs to get into a window, and then it was a timing throw. I mean, he, he basically hit Diggs right on the sideline where nobody was going to be able to do anything about it other than possibly Diggs steps out of bounds and, and Diggs caught the ball, got his feet down and, and got out of bounds for a nice gain. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that stuff I think is another step in the development process as well. You want to see him be protected a little better once again than what we saw today. But again, Matt Khalil was not in the game. He, he did not play today. He told me Friday he's nursing some little things as he put it. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a huge issue, at least the way he described it, but if T.J. Clumings has to play at some point, I think we can oh, say we would be a little worried that's about that. A
1: major problem. Yes, that's, that's a. It's weird too because Teddy Teddy with the pressure impressed you, and and he does. I give him credit for this. His first inclination is not to take off. Right. His first in- inclination. He's is, not Christian Ponder in that no, regard. It's how can I it, now if a play breaks if it totally breaks down he can take off yes but his first inclination is to allow the pocket to start to collapse around him which sounds bad, but yeah. actually is good because mm-hmm. then, then he can zip throws in a little bit. Um, I would say the concern, though, to your point, remains this. The offensive line, you still don't know a lot of yeah. things. And you do know this. As much as we have uh, have ripped Matt Clill in the past. It's the best thing you got. Yeah. If for any reason, Ben Gessling, TJ Clemmings, in a regular season game, especially against some of the right ends in this league, is forced mm-hmm. to play you're in huge trouble. TJ Clemmings was a work in progress and did his best at right tackle. Mm -hmm. And it sort of worked. It wasn't great. It sort of worked. But, Ben, if you have to ask this kid to play left tackle, I think think that's an ask that could get your quarterback almost killed.
0: Well, and that was the one thing about their offseason work on the offensive line that you kind of said, okay, this is great that you're bringing in all these bodies, but – is there anybody that can play left tackle in the event that Matt Khalil is injured or ineffective? And they didn't really or couldn't, one of the two, get a guy that you say, okay, this is a viable, somewhat proven alternative if Matt Khalil should have something happen. And, and there's other guys on the roster. I mean, Carter Bykowski is there. I mean, there's guys that I'm not sure are going to make the team. Right. Jeremiah Searles, well, I think he had a play today that wasn't. Terribly impressive. The one moment I noticed him was not for a good reason. There are guys there that that will probably get a little bit of a look, and, and that's always one of those things in the final roster cuts that you can look at. But yeah, being in the situation where you have a guy that was I mean, still now is in his fourth year playing offensive line, and you're asking him to go from playing the right side where he struggled last year. He's get, he seems to be getting better there, but now you're asking him to add more to his plate. I I don't think that's a great idea. If in fact, it should become something you have to go to at some point. Hey everyone, Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore here from the Touch 'Em All podcast. Now the Twins might not be very good in recent years, but our podcast is pretty damn good. Phil, that's a little bit of a stretch. Okay, our podcast is is pretty good. Well, okay, we have a podcast. You can find us Talking Twins on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com every week.
1: What is your uh, take on the fact that uh, that John Sullivan not only did not start yeah. today, Joe Berger started, but John did not play. Yeah. So, uh, so Joe got the, the entire first half, and I, I know that, uh, that Mike tried to downplay it mm-hmm. in the post-game press conference, but to me, I'm sorry, When it's the third preseason game and you've been in a competition for a job and you don't play, I'm not sure I'm willing to, in this case, trust in what the coach tells me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because you could take that, I think you could take that either way. If if you're inclined to think that John Sullivan is uh, not really a guy that has to worry about whether he's going to be the starter, Mm -hmm. I mean, that would maybe suggest that you're going to be – I mean, that would kind of corroborate that, right? I mean, if you're not starting, it may say, okay, he's got the job locked up. Right. And they, Joe Berger, I guess they told him, we need to see you at center, which I think Joe Berger thought was kind of an odd request given the fact that he did it all last year and did it pretty well. That's a very odd ask at this point. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that – I mean, I guess the fact that he's been playing guard is one thing, but – But he
1: doesn't forget how to play center. No,
0: I mean, maybe Tony Sperano needs to take a better look at him. I'm not sure, but hmm. – it's – it's. Uh, I mean, it, you could take it that way that, that Sullivan is going to be the guy. And I, I tend to think in a perfect world Sullivan is the guy for reasons that we've talked about, that Joe Berger is probably more valuable to you as a backup. But it also – I mean, if, if you think this is still an open competition, it is a little bit odd in the sense of it is your third preseason game. It's your best chance to get an idea of what you have going into the year. Right. And he's not – not only is he not in the game – it didn't look like they ever had any intention of playing him. He was on the sideline with a baseball cap the entire day, which is the classic sure. veteran starter who's got the day off and doesn't have to worry about anything attire in the preseason.
1: So is your opinion this? If if Berger does win that job at center to start the year, does that potentially cost Sullivan his job? Or despite the fact he's expensive, do they keep him? Because the fear is if, uh, if Fusco gets hurt, for instance, which – you know, has happened. Yeah. It certainly can happen. Yeah. That the that the issue becomes Berger has to move to guard then. So do you do you think if Sullivan doesn't start, that marks the end of his career as a Viking, or do you think it's just sort of an uncomfortable position and he doesn't start to start the season, but they keep him around because if you do have to make the move, he can go in at center and Berger can swing to guard.
0: I think they'd keep him around. I'm not sure how well that would play with him. He does not strike me as a guy that I, I think John Sullivan's a guy that's got a lot of pride in the work he's done in the league. And I think if you tell him, we think you're healthy enough to be on our roster but not healthy enough to be our starting center, I'm I'm not sure how well that's going to go over with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, – I tend to think that if they're both healthy and they both feel like they can do the job, I think John Sullivan's the guy. I, I think – They like what he brings to the group. I think they like his mobility. I think they like his intelligence. Sure. Joe Berger, as valuable as he is, is also a guy that you want to have available to play in a number of different spots. And if he's your starting center and all of a sudden you have to move him to a guard spot because something happens to one of those guys, then you're messing with a couple different pieces there. So I I guess I tend to think that this is going to be John Sullivan's job in the end, unless there's an overriding concern about his back, which I don't think there is. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I would lean towards the idea of uh, him sitting on the bench probably is going to be a moot point because I
1: don't think he's going to be on the bench. Red flag or not, do you think, that Jarius Wright, by my recollection, did not get a reception or really get into the game today until the third quarter. And and now keep in mind – this is the third preseason game, as we've talked about, is the dress rehearsal for the season. Mm-hmm. On Thursday night, when the Rams come here to play the Vikings, we will we are not going to see a lot of guys play. Yeah. Uh, Jarius Wright's a guy who a year ago signed a new contract. Jarius Wright's a guy who, during the offseason, we frequently talked about the fact that he probably, he probably was the slot guy yeah. with the first team. What are we to make of the fact that uh, we didn't see him in the first half, which means we didn't see him with Teddy Bridgewater. Right,
0: and that's been a consistent theme, whether that's either been his calf that's bugged him for part of the training camp in in the preseason, or just when he's been healthy, he hasn't been in that top group. I mean, some of that has to do, I think, with Adam Thielen making the step that he's made. But it's it's weird. It goes beyond that. I mean, because this is a guy that, Played well enough to get a contract extension. They don't do that for guys that they don't believe in. I mean, they they very much believe in taking care of their own guys, and sure. they, they like to make a show of that. They like to do it the day before the season or the day before training camp. That it becomes this sort of headline stealing moment, saying, "Oh, wow, they're they're really confident in the foundation they're building." That they love to do that. They love to announce those deals at sort of these. Milestone junctures in the football calendar, and they it's did that with smart him
1: too. Because I, I think guys around the league look at that and say, like, "Hey, look, that team yeah. takes care of its own players." Yeah, yeah so it's they do. a smart
0: move. It is, I think. But the fact that they did that with him tells you that they see him as one of those guys that right. they're going to have around for a while. And I don't think he's in any danger of getting cut. Number one, because I think they still believe. That he can produce. And number two, the contract just doesn't allow it. There's like $2 million of dead money in that thing this year. It just doesn't make a ton of financial sense to let him go. And he's the most veteran guy you have in the room. So I think he's here. I don't think there's any issue of that. But it is, yeah, it's just, it's strange to me that he hasn't been. A bigger factor, and and some of that has to do with the fact that Adam Thielen has stepped up. Mm-hmm. Charles Johnson has has put himself in the mix to be a, a starter over. Yeah, at the split inside. He's back completely. Yeah, I think he is too. He looks really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And I I think with him and Stephon Diggs, you got your two. But yeah, it's a it's a little strange to me the way they've handled Jarius Wright, and I would be curious to see how that plays out going into the season. I think this could be a group that is fluid for a while. I really do because as Laquan Treadwell gets a bigger role, yep. There's some sure. things that could change, week four,
1: week five, week eight. Who knows? So Cordero Patterson played quite a bit today. I thought it was interesting, though his uh, his experience with the first team, both in preseason game two in Seattle and this one, the, he is back to being a gimmick player. Yes, he is. They threw in Seattle, I think a couple screens mm-hmm. to him, which he's good at. Yep. Uh, and then today it was an attempted pitchback, uh, and he lost about four yards or so. That was six. But yeah. yeah, but but it's clear that whatever motivation they have to use him as a a normal first team type mm-hmm. of player it's as a gimmick player he's not running it's not like he's going out and running routes and Teddy's trying to to find him it's really as if okay Cordell if we if we bring you in it's yeah. going to be on a gimmick basis and if you can make it work great and if you don't well you probably don't play that much well and you wonder Again.
0: yeah and you wonder how much of that would have been different if he hadn't been out for the first week or two of the pre or the, of training camp I'm inclined to think not that much because they still had the entire off season program to evaluate him. And you maybe get to a point where you say, okay, this is still the best use for him. And I know there were people in the organization in places of significant power that wanted to see Cordero Patterson doing more things like we saw him do as a rookie where he's getting the ball in those plays that he can make things happen. Mm -hmm. And we've seen him do that. And there's, I mean, we kind of treat that like it's, it's a stigma. And we call him a gimmick guy, but This is an offense that's incorporating a lot more of that. We see Jarek McKinnon doing that. We see them have success on screen passes, whether it's been Jarius Wright winning the game against the Jets a couple years ago. We've seen Adam Thielen do that. We've seen Charles Johnson do that. We've seen Stephon Diggs do that. Those quick hitting plays that allow you to run after the catch are part of this offense. And if he can do that, it, it doesn't need to be something that's sort of stigmatized as that's, you know, it's this kind of lesser role, but, at the same time, if you don't trust him to be a full-fledged
1: receiver... Which they clearly don't.
0: Well, yeah, I think I mean, that's true. that's obvious. Yeah, but then when you put him on the field, we still come back to that issue of, okay, yes. defenses know if he's on the field, something is up, and how you mesh that into your game plan still becomes a bit of an issue.
1: Do you think there's any chance he gets cut?
0: No, I don't. Okay. I don't, because I think in in a lot of these decisions, and we, we've seen it with Marcus Sherrills, I think special teams has a big part in the way they make some of these decisions. I think Mike Prefer still loves him as a kick returner. He's yep. still very dangerous as a kick returner. And I don't think they want to give up on a guy like that because doesn't he strike you as the classic guy that could wind up in, like, New England or something? And oh, yeah. They turn him into a star.
1: Yes, yes. But see, that the key thing is can you use him offensively as a gimmick player but to your point keep teams on their toes about yeah, that? Yeah, that's the trick. That's the, t- that's the tough thing. His rookie year – you really at first didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And it worked. And then it worked. And then it worked less. And then it worked again. But I don't know I don't the most intriguing thing to me right now about about the Vikings offensively is this. Their offense, I don't know what to call it right now. Yeah. It's skewing it looks to me like it's skewing West Coast again.
0: Yes. It's I would definitely agree with skewing
1: that. that way. Uh, but they still have ideas and thoughts and this this I really do think comes back to the whole thing of Shermer and Norv sat down and we are getting i figured this is where we were headed no no i mean i just I, it's not a conspiracy theory i just, No, i think just, it's valid i just think we're getting a mishmash of things but but most important to all of this is that bridgewater is comfortable yeah you know if teddy's comfortable who cares yeah it does, if you don't giving, have to have a if you're giving bridgewater the opportunity to make the throws that he feels he can make and that yeah. you i guess most importantly you are confident he can make yeah that's the key thing. You don't have to label it if
0: that's the case. I yes. mean, if it's something that works and it's a hodgepodge of different things, that's fine. And, yeah, I'd I like to give you a hard time about the the Pat Shermer, Tony Sperano kind of pet Judd angle, but I, I think it's valid in this case. I do think they have moved a little bit more in that direction. As we have talked about, they were sort of doing that towards the end of last yeah. year anyway, and I think the the, the ideas they have brought in probably have a bigger say in that. With Patterson, I guess the other thing to point out is that if he is on the field, I mean, we really saw his role start to evaporate when, after Adrian Peterson was suspended and defenses could say, okay, now this is the guy we have to take away. If Adrian Peterson's on the field with Cordero Patterson, you are not going to be able to sell out completely to stop Cordero Patterson because you're still going to be worried about Adrian Peterson. So maybe even if people know that Cordero Patterson being on the field means he's going to be involved in something, if there's other guys on the field you have to worry about. If 28's think, out there. Yeah, it or it even 21. The,
1: that dynamic a little bit. I mean, That's it, true. It,
0: it, there's more variables now than there were two years ago. So maybe you can make that work a little bit better than you used to be able to do.
1: What's your best guess? I think I, I know the answer to this one, at what's going to happen at Strong Safety? Because uh, I, I honestly thought coming into training camp that that Michael Griffin had a yeah. good chance to win that job. I did too. As we sit here now with, uh, with one relatively meaningless sort of preseason game left. uh, I think
0: there's no question that job has been decided. I would agree with you. I think Andrew Sandejo is going to be the guy there again, and I think what happened today did not give Michael Griffin a lot of help in his bid to take that job. On the Melvin Gordon touchdown run, I mean, Mike Zimmer talked about it they blitzed Audi Cole on that play, and and watching it back, Audi Cole almost got in the backfield too fast. I mean, he he basically almost he had a hand on Philip Rivers as he was handing the ball a off. Gap,
1: baby, he was in the eight gap. He was,
0: and I don't know, I don't know if that was ever going to be a play action. I, I think Rivers saw it at the line of scrimmage, changed it to a run, sure. and got rid of the ball because he knew that that was coming. It, it that's one of those plays, as I think of it, that's probably worth filing away because. If there are teams that can hit you with that draw play and take advantage of when they know you're coming, in the in the the never ending chess match that is the NFL, that could be one of those things that we see teams try to do to neutralize that that blitz. But Heck yeah. Audi Cole got in there and and vacated that gap essentially and you know did his job. Mike Zimmer blamed himself for the play call. Really, if you're gonna blame anybody for the execution on that, Michael Griffin got faked by Melvin Gordon going one way and basically had to put his hand on the ground. To get himself turned. I mean, he if you watch that back, his angle was so severe coming back that there's no doubt why Melvin Gordon had all that room. His back locked up too, right? It did. I don't know if it was on that play.
1: That could have been it, though. I mean,
0: it could have been. I mean, the way he his angle and his his change of direction was pretty severe on that. That certainly could have been part of it. But whatever it was, missing that tackle as badly as he did mm-hmm. and having a back injury significant enough that he was walking around on crutches after the game, I don't think – Helps his case whatsoever
1: so that will uh, likely go to, to Sandejo yeah. what else is defensively though this club is pretty set yep I mean Rhodes Rhodes was out today w- with the hamstring so Wayne's played for him cornerback wise here's the one thing I'm curious about Mackenzie Alexander the second round pick is only five foot ten Ben mm-hmm. and he's young and learning but I got he plays with for lack of a better term or word a brashness. Yes, he does. That I got to think Zimmer loves. Yep. And Trey Waynes does not. Yes. Trey Waynes. I don't want to say he looks passive. He doesn't, but he doesn't. But Mackenzie Alexander plays with this cornerback flair mm-hmm. that a coach has because that position is a terrible position to play. I mean, oh, gosh, in yeah. 2016, where everything in, in the league is geared towards the passing game and you get beat all the time and can't care about it because you got, you got to come back the next play. Uh, I am curious to see if Alexander jumps Wayne's on the depth chart. And I going into training camp, I said, there's no way. I said, "Mackenzie Alexander is your long term slot guy for captain, which which I still believe to be the case. Yep. Um, But I said, he's five foot ten. There's no way that that Wayne's is in any trouble. I'm not positive of that now, and and this is not the uh, this is not to say that Wayne's is a flop or not going to develop, yeah it's to say that Mackenzie Alexander seems to have intangibles that I don't know Trey Waynes has right now.
0: I would agree with that. I think Mackenzie Alexander probably has a shorter memory than Trey Waynes does, and I think as a corner, that is an important thing that's almost like being a quarterback where if you throw yes. an interception exactly you got to forget about it and move on i mean and Brett Favre, I think is the I mean both because he threw a lot of interceptions and both because. He had that mentality. You have to be able to forget about it. And Mackenzie Alexander, we saw it today. He drops an interception, comes right back, and then makes what he called a tougher interception shortly after that. And I think that sort of short memory and that idea of, okay, screw it, I'm just going to go make a play, is probably what you need at that position. And I think that's certainly something Mike Zimmer likes Trey Wayne strikes me as a guy that that probably thinks about it all a little bit more.
1: Bingo, that's what I think. He's, yeah, he, he strikes me as a guy who wants to act like he forgets, but he mm-hmm. but he's always thinking about the last play or something. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why, but Alexander just has a flare. Wayne's doesn't really have a flair to him. Yeah, and a guy like Rhodes, possibly or Alexander, they've got a bit more of this devil may care. Hey, yeah. hey, I screwed up. Too bad. Mm-hmm. Bring it back at me. Right.
0: Right, and I think I think with Alexander, I mean, in some ways, his mentality and his cover skills are more what you want. I mean, Trey, if if Mackenzie Alexander had Trey Wayne's size, oh, he'd be a uh, he would have been a started. top ten pick because yeah, his cover skills are really good. His his ball skills, I mean, I didn't have an interception in college, obviously, but he does the thing that Mike Zimmer always talks about, and at least did it in college. That don't let your guy catch the ball. And he's got that mentality, I think, that you want to see in a lot of corners. Trey Waynes obviously has the the prototypical size and speed and the arm length. If Mackenzie Alexander had all of those things, probably not a second-round pick, probably a first-round pick and probably a pretty high one. It will be very interesting to see how that plays out. And I I still think Terrence Newman is the starter at left corner. I think all of this sort of plays out over time and and possibly if there's an injury or even later in the season. but. Yeah, that is going to be an interesting one to watch because they obviously have high picks invested in both of those guys. They have a lot of interest in being right on both of those guys, but obviously being right on a guy that you took 11th overall is more important than a guy that you took in the second round.
1: Uh, Roster cut down from 90 to 75 is Tuesday by 3 p.m., so the Vikings will probably uh, make their moves tomorrow, and then I think we go down to the 53-man regular season limit on Saturday. Yep. Uh, Any surprises you see coming?
0: I don't think there's any surprises in the first round. I think those will be fairly cut and dried, I guess. I mean, they'll they'll probably keep a couple guys around that you need to see in the third game or the fourth game and guys that you want to have bodies for at positions where you don't want to play your starters. Sure. So some of that I think will be the case. Saturday, a guy like Michael Griffin, I'm very curious to see what they do because Mm -hmm. that's one where if he's not going to be your starter – and I don't think he is. And if you're worried about his health now, and I don't, we'll see how bad it is. I mean, if his back locked up, it may just be a, a back spasm, but it could be more than that. We'll see. That's one I wonder. With all these young safeties you have, if you say, "Hey,
1: maybe, and, maybe we don't." And your keep guy Jaron Curse has looked pretty doggone good. My guy Jaron Curse is Mr. Mankato. Let's just let's stop this charade now. It's over. It's no fun if we stop the charade. The whole thing is a charade. That's what makes it fun. But in all it's about to
0: be a three peat is what in all is.
1: seriousness. Well, you're gonna to have to split it with Scoggins and Harrigan too. But nah, I don't. I don't know where they were. The last in all seriousness, years. you're right. A guy like Curse has shown easily enough. I think he makes the team. Oh, I think he does too. In fact, I think I think he makes the team because he's done uh, enough in the preseason. Where if you try and sneak him through, yeah, someone's gonna claim him. Yes, and then they'll cut him later. Worst case and try and put him on their practice yep. squad. Yep. But yeah, Griffin told me in Mankato, I, I asked him what his thoughts were on the season. And mm-hmm. at the time he said, I'm just trying to make this team. And I thought to myself, yeah. what are you talking about? You, you might, you probably should start. Yeah. But I think we've seen enough now. And, and he was what he played 10 years with the Titans. Yeah. I believe. I think, that's yeah. a long, that's a long time. Yeah. He's got some tread on the tires. No question. So I've gone from saying to myself, come on, man, you're just kidding me to no, you might be right. Yeah. And, and, Sandejo, God love him, because this is a guy that we've been writing off from our yeah. positions up here yep. in the press box for two years now or so. Yeah. And he keeps coming back. I mean, when Zimmer went to the combine and told you guys about his goal for, I'd like to find a safety to play by Smith, who yeah. can do this and that. And and he's right. I mean, yeah. if you found if you found another on the verge of being a Pro Bowl type guy to play by Harrison Smith, right. it'd be fantastic. But I thought, okay, that's it for sure. Yeah that Sandejo is done. Yeah, I I did too. They might re-sign him as they did to play special teams and and be a backup, but his starting days are basically done. I thought that for sure, and then sure enough, he's back now, and I think you're right. I think he's going to start. Well, I think with Michael
0: Griffin, a lot of us thought, what, that he's the type of safety that Zimmer was talking about, a guy that when he's been at his best is a good deep cover guy that allows you to move Harrison Smith around. The question was always going to be, is he still that guy at age 31? He's been that guy in the past. Is he still that guy now? And we may be finding out that he's not as much of that guy as you as you once thought. I still think it's possible he makes the team. Uh, I, I think it's possible they keep him. Obviously, Harrison Smith makes it. Sandejo makes it. And then J. Ron Kirst. The question is, do you then want to risk losing a guy like Anton Exum, who got hurt today, I don't think Mike Zimmer is the biggest Anton fan in the world, but I, there's still enough somebody is. ability there and enough coverability there. Yes, yeah, somebody is. I, I, yeah, I see what you did There's there. somebody at Winter Park. I we see like what you did there. Um, I mean, there may still be enough potential there that will be interesting to see what they do there. Anthony Harris is the other guy. Do you want to keep one of those guys over a guy like Michael Griffin? That's going to be an interesting decision because I think going into it, we all thought this is the type of guy they wanted, and now I sort of think about it as – if you want to get the ideal guy next to Harrison Smith, you're probably going to have to draft him because yes. we see what happens in agree. free agency with guys like Devin McCourty, guys like George Iloka, guys they went after. And they're
1: too too they're, expensive. They're too expensive. Especially now what you're paying Harrison Smith. And safeties, in my opinion, are, are the probably defensive equivalent to running backs. Yeah. Which is having a really good one is really, really nice. Yeah. But do you want to pay the going rate on the open market for those guys? now? there aren't now, that many great ones. As part now, of if too. a guy, if a cornerback leaks out on the open market, I think you have to sit there long yeah. and hard and say, you know what, that's a lot of money, but but he plays cornerback. Right. Safeties are tough. Uh, last thing, are there any injuries aside from Khalil uh, that should be of concern? And I guess I'm also talking about the fact that Eric Kendricks, I don't think, has now played in all, th- yeah. all three games with a hamstring that's been bothering him for a long time. Now.
0: That's the one that worries me because that's a guy that they were very excited about coming into the season. Mike Zimmer was talking about things that started to slow down for him. He's not second-guessing himself as much. He's making plays. He's being assertive, and you see the, the big difference. And Then all of a sudden he's got the hamstring that keeps him out basically for the first three games of the preseason. Right. If that is an issue going into the season, for a guy that you are counting on to be able to run as much as him, to be able to blitz as effectively as he did at times last year, that to me would be a big loss because I think they have high hopes for what he can mean for their defense. And as we know, hamstrings are things that take a while to recover and a while to get you back to 100%. So, I mean, that's that's the one to me that you kind of sit there and say, okay, we'll see where this goes. It's a but a lot yeah. of time missed too. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think that is one that could be a sneaky problem i guess going into the season
1: all right sir wrap us up we're done
0: we are we will be back uh we'll be back here thursday night and we will uh digest things after I that you will not be here you lucky dog are you going to tcf i
1: n n e s o t a minnesota minnesota i have seen enough i've seen enough fourth preseason games to last a lifetime I'd rather watch Mitch Leidner play Oregon State.
0: Yeah, well, I'll leave you to first-round pick Mitch Leidner. And uh, (laughs) the Gophers, apparently from what I read, their inevitable march towards the Big Ten title game. We'll see if that happens. But I will be here Thursday night, and we will reconvene at some point after that to break down the final roster and get you ready for the start of the regular season against the Tennessee Titans. One week from next Sunday, two weeks from today in Nashville. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.